Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. So I, I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better because it can. Bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7. Before we begin today's episode of Potterless, I wanted to give a sincere thank you to everyone that has supported the podcast on Patreon because the other day I just bought a bunch of new audio equipment. We've got a new microphone, we got new cables, we got pop filters, we've got an audio interface so that it can connect to the computer. It's great, and in about six episodes, things are going to sound real good. So <laughs> thank you to everyone that has supported us on Patreon. Also, shout out to our newest Patreon supporters. There's a bunch of you, Gary slash Jerry, G-E-R-I, not sure how to pronounce your name, Erica Oman, Tia Williams, Sarah Ellsworth, Jackson Lynch, Christina McNally, and Aaron Johnson, who is our newest producer-level patron. Aaron joins the ranks of our other producers, Leanne Davis, Griffin Meckelberg, Andreas Ozelby, and Vicky Vale, who always get USBs in the right direction the first time. So thank you to everyone. And speaking of Patreon, I have a little bonus for everyone, not just our patrons. So on Patreon, in exchange for pledges, you get access to bonus content. And one of those bonus features is a monthly bonus episode where in the past I've done things like take the Harry Potter sorting quiz or the wand quiz, etc. Julia and I from the last episode took the Patronus quiz live. And what I've decided to do is put that little five minute bonus segment on Patreon for free. So anybody can go listen to it. You don't have to be a patron. Uh, Basically, this is just to kind of show you what kind of stuff is available on Patreon. If that's something you're thinking about, if not, no big deal at all. Thank you so much just for listening to this episode of Potterless and supporting the podcast by clicking the download button. So thank you so much. And without further ado, let's begin this episode of Potterless covering the beginning chapters of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire with special guest David Tress, who since recording has started his own podcast called Contemporary Cage, where he goes over the thematic elements of Nicolas Cage movies. It's a great time. But anyway, let's start the episode. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Potterless, the journey of a 24-year-old man reading the Harry Potter novels for the first time. My name is Mike Schubert, and I am joined today by a lovely human you may know from Vine, or I guess now that by the time this is out, Vine may be long dead, uh, other parts on the internet, David Tress. David, how is it going? It's going great, Chubes. Man, I'm excited to be on. I'm a big fan of the podcast. Thank you. I think you're doing a great service revisiting this, this series. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, it's been like super fun to like take a walk down memory lane and uh, sort of explore like my memory with my like rose tinted glasses versus like, oh, yeah, I probably would feel like I would have some criticisms (laughs) and some difficulties getting through this series again. That's basically the whole point of the podcast is to remove the circular Harry Potter shaped rose tinted glasses from everyone's (laughs) faces. Yes. Uh, But yeah, so this is a new book. We're starting the fourth book in the series, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, which is a it's a it's one that I feel people have mixed emotions about. Definitely. I feel like some people say they really like it. Some people say they don't. Uh, I've had people like more nerdy people say I don't like it because it's the sports book. And it seemed like it was just trying to (laughs) appeal to a non nerdy mass. I've had other people really like it because of some of the things like the other schools and all this other stuff. But you are on specifically because you said you hate the first chunk of it. Yeah, and that's definitely. what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You you asked me uh, like what my favorite book was, and I told you Prisoner of Azkaban. And then I also mentioned I really, really hate The Goblet of Fire. And you're like, let's do that one. <laughs> yeah. So we haven't had an episode where anyone has actively hated a section of the book. So I'm really excited. And and what I'll, what I've said, and I said this to you before we started recording, is like it's not that this these first like 150 pages were really bad. It's just that they were largely unnecessary. Totally. Like I feel like they could have all been summarized in like 30 pages. Yeah, my theory <laughs> about this is uh, I think this is the point where the Harry Potter series was just hitting like critical mass of how popular it was. Mm-hmm. No book had ever been this popular at like outside of the Bible. Like <laughs> Harry Potter was such a popular series. And I think what happens when a series gets that popular is uh, writers who like to write can kind of stop listening to their editors as much, which is why you have a 700-page children's book uh, (laughs) that just explores all of this world-building and lore stuff that, like, is fun. And if you're into that stuff, it's great. Uh, And J.K. Rowling loves to write. She really likes to write. And I don't think that for the type of book that she's trying to do, and, like, in this book specifically, you get a much larger sense of wizarding culture throughout the world yes. of Harry Potter, which is cool. But as as a kid, I just remember like it dragging on in the first like <laughs> a few hundred pages of this book and like not really diving into anything of consequence. None of the stuff that like really resonated with me for the first three books. Yeah, exactly. Because what I've done for almost all of these episodes of the podcast is I've read 150 pages of the book and then talked about it. In some cases, it takes a long time and other times it doesn't. And this like I've read 150 pages and the basic bullet points, if you had to like summarize it, the Dursleys still suck. Voldemort is back. They went to the Quidditch World Cup. They're going back to school. That's it. Like, you can summarize 150 pages of this book in four sentences, and it's terrifying. Like, nothing happens. Yeah. It's so silly. It really is. <laughs> and, the, like, the Dursley stuff in this book, like, we'll, we'll get into it when we start, like, mm-hmm. going over. But mm-hmm. it, it feels, like, very perfunctory. Ooh, fun word. Yeah, they're bad, <laughs> and then they kind of get their moment of comeuppets, and then, like, they're done with for the for the entire yep. book. Like, we don't have to uh, think about them anymore. They just shouldn't be in the series anymore. We get it. They're bad. They're awful. That was my least favorite part. But let's yeah. get into it. Chapter okay. one, The Riddle House, which initially, when I was first reading this, I was so excited. I was like, oh, my God, a book that finally doesn't start with Harry at the Dursleys. Like, this is amazing. And then chapter two is at the Dursleys. Yeah. (laughs) All of my optimism wiped away. Yeah, I really like the introductory chapter. I think it, like, establishes, like, a cool vibe and also sort of takes the perspective of muggles and their 
weird, like unknown insight into the wizard wizarding world. It's like yes. you can assume reading through this, if it's your first time through the series, you're like, oh, the murder of the riddles probably has some significance in the wizarding world. Yes, there's a lot of creepy half foreshadowing, mm-hmm. not yet, not necessarily foreshadowing, just like starting to tell you about stuff and then not giving you the full story. Right. And then it's like, well, I'm assuming she'll wrap it up later because yeah. she didn't tell me what happened. It's one of the few times <laughs> in the series, I think, where you kind of get to look through the lens of like ignorance that the muggles uh, exist in into yeah. the wizarding world and you're like oh we're trying to make sense of this and th- there's some cool mm-hmm. stuff where Frank is getting exposed to uh, some wi- wizarding terminology and it just like recognizes it as complete garbage oh I must <laughs> be like mishearing something <laughs> yeah, and he's like what are these words uh, so let's get it cracking you learn that 50 years ago a maid found all three of the riddles just dead in their house Yeah, but it's okay though because no one liked them apparently <laughs> yeah not a popular family they had rich and snooty parents they describe the parents as being like really awful and then they're like the only person that could have been worse than the parents was tom riddle yeah (laughs) (laughs) so it's like let me just describe these horrible people oh by the way their son way worse right yeah (laughs) so a man named frank bryce was arrested afterwards Mm -hmm. he turns out that he's the gardener and the cook thinks that he did it because the gardener has a spare key to a back room and there was no sign of a break-in. Thus, he had to have done it. Sure, yeah, (laughs) guilty. (laughs) Frank kept saying that it wasn't him, but on the night of the death, he said he saw a teenage boy with pale skin and dark hair. My thought is that that's somehow Voldemort, but... I don't know. That's a, yeah. I have no idea because I don't know how the riddles died because they just stopped telling you about it. But we'll figure it out right uh, later. I'm assuming the police report showed no physical harm done to the riddles, but they all had a look of terror frozen on their faces. So clearly they were murdered via magic. Yeah, which is like such a crazy <laughs> thing. I, I, I guess they get to this because the man they arrest, they have to let him off because there's like, oh, they're fine outside of being dead. Right. There's like a line of of that later. (laughs) Everything's okay except they're dead. (laughs) Yeah. The moments where the muggle world and the and the wizarding world intersect in these books are always super fun. Yes. Like as if cops could do that. They're like, oh, these are dead (laughs) bodies. But, you know, they seem healthy and just like shrug (laughs) and let this guy go (laughs) as if that's a thing that could happen. Yeah. So, yes, exactly. They let him go and he stays in the building, continuing to do gardening work, even though his masters are dead and no one's. No one's paying him. Weird choice. He's just still gardening. So the house was never rented out to anybody, but it was often vandalized because young boys in the town like to watch Frank struggle to clean it up. So they would <laughs> dirty it and then be like, ah, look at the old guy cleaning shit. <laughs> yeah. I think that J.K. Rowling just loves, I mean, the, the books <laughs> in large are about, there's lots of themes of like intolerance and like prejudice and bigotry and bullies. But she uh-huh. she loves like writing very, very truthful about like how vicious children can be yes to one another she loves that stuff she really does but she makes for really bad bullies like Malfoy's just a dumb bully yeah he's not good they're not clever they're just mean they're not it's like all he does is call people poor it's like yo yeah you're that you're not a bully at all you're just mean yeah you're just a very offensive young boy (laughs) so uh one night there is a break-in and there are quote wild lights so more magic Mm -hmm. uh Frank goes around to the back and he sees a room that is set on fire i think it's set on fire there's some sort or maybe it has a fire 
Yeah, I think okay that they had uh, misread this. The guys had had lit a fire in the Uh, fireplace. Okay, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) okay, completely different. My note just had he goes to the back and sees a room on fire. Uh, (laughs) So there's a timid voice talking to Voldemort, and there's a quote that says, "Move." Oh yeah, oh of course I should realize this because the quote is, "Move me closer to the fire, Wormtail." (laughs) Right. Which my my note that I'd written down was ah with seven H's because clearly this is Peter. Bringing Voldemort back to life. Right. So he asks for Nagini. Mm-hmm. He says, I have to milk her later for sustenance. So my first thought is like, is Nagini a cat or a goat or yeah. a cow? Or some sort of milkable animal. Nope. Turns out to be a snake. Yeah, which is crazy. At first I was like, I don't think that that's how reptiles work. But then I looked it up and I guess milking in the reptilian world means extracting their venom. Yeah, that's what I figured. So that makes it a little... A little cooler than thinking about like a snake that with like actual milk. Like, yeah. uh, I don't know. I think that's actually pretty cooler. A milkable snake. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Just a snake with a bunch of nipples. Oh, the most horrible creature in the world. Terrifying. <laughs> so Voldemort mentions that the plan must be implemented after the World Cup is over, which mm-hmm. makes me very sad because now I learned that there's a Quidditch World Cup, which yep. terrifies me because as anyone listening to this podcast knows, I hate Quidditch with all of my heart. It's a bad sport. It's a very bad sport. <sighs> uh, so dumb. When you were letting people know uh, on Twitter that I was going to be on the show, I said, I don't like real sports and I like reading about fake sports even less. <laughs> it works sometimes because they get the personal narrative woven in and you're like, oh, okay, I care about Harry. But then World uh-huh. Cup, that's just a bunch of guys we don't know Mm-mm. playing a sport that I don't care about. And only one of them matters later, kind right. of. That's true. Like, you really don't need the whole Crumb World Cup thing. Like, you could have just had the Triwizard Tournament and, like, Crumb was the best seeker in the world, and you would have learned exactly the same amount of information about yeah, him. <laughs> totally. So, Voldemort says that they're going to stay in the house until it's over because there's too many wizards in town, and, you know, it would be suspect. Mm-hmm. And as you've mentioned, Frank is confused by all the magic words that he is hearing. Right. that they're nonsense like Quidditch, Muggle, what? I also love that we're supposed to believe that, like, Voldemort is this incredibly intelligent, crafty person. He's the most wanted wizard in the world, and someone just, a, a muggle, just happened across him. It's yeah. just like, he didn't this guy is supposed to be living this secretive <laughs> life, and it's just like, oh, whoops, I stumbled across you. <laughs> just uh, eavesdrops in on him for, for minutes before, yeah, it's so crazy. Ridiculous, yeah. Then Pettigrew says, we don't have to use Harry Potter another wizard would be quicker and easier. So again, very ominous about needing it. Right. So it makes me think that there's some sort of like weird kill Harry Potter and take over his body or they need some sort of like body to bring Voldemort back to life. These are my wild theories that I know nothing about. Mm -hmm. But I'm assuming they need someone's body to make this happen or something. And Voldemort turns this against Pettigrew and he's like, oh, so you just want to get rid of me rather than stick to the plan? Like you just want to nurse me back to life and pulling this weird weird, sassy, like, self-deprecating card. (laughs) He's very sensitive. He doesn't have a lot of friends. I think he's used to being in a position of power, and now that, like, his only friend is this weird rat man, he's just, (laughs) like, very sensitive and insecure Mm. and just, like, terrified that he's going to be left and abandoned. Yeah, his only friend is 
the weakest Animorph. <laughs> yes. So then Voldemort says, I have my reasons for using the boy. My guess is his reasons are just him being really petty. And he's just yeah. mad that a fucking baby killed him. Totally. <laughs> like, yeah. like, we have to use him because he beat me when he was an infant. <laughs> yeah, he's got to get him back finally. <laughs> yeah. So Voldemort makes reference to his faithful servant. He says something about my faithful servant will come through. I'm assuming this is Lucius Malfoy. The best guess I got is that it's that's, him. That's a decent guess. Yeah. <laughs> I, I genuinely don't remember. I'm not like keeping the information. It's <laughs> just like I didn't read past. Keep a secret because yes, I want to know. I want to be surprised by everything. So apparently uh, Voldemort already killed somebody named Bertha Jockings, uh, which mm-hmm. is a great name. Absolutely great name. It is a good one. It's just a good, solid British name. Oh, Bertha Jockings. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you can't not say it in that accent. No, you have to. <laughs> uh, as a repayment for Pettigrew coming upon her and finding her dead body for usage, he will get to, quote, perform a critical task for me, which sounds like when you pretend to give someone a gift, it's like, oh, I'm going to let you do me a favor. <laughs> yeah, this is like definitely some like Tom Sawyer. I'm going to like trick you into painting my fence type something where it's like, oh, you're going to get to do the best favor for me. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, how is that an attractive proposition uh, whatsoever? Man, he killed her because she saw Pettigrew, who was supposed mm-hmm. to be dead, and that would have messed up everything. So he was like, great, now I have to kill her. So that's how she came upon death. So then Nagini comes in, who they had mentioned milking, but is a snake. Yep. And Voldemort calls it into the room via parcel tongue. Uh, Nagini walks like slithers past Frank along the way. And then once Nagini gets into the room, tells Voldemort in snake tongue, oh, by the way, there's a dude in the hallway in case you didn't know. <laughs> yeah, watch out, boss. There's an old guy listening in. And then he's uh. like, oh, really? And then brings him in. Mm-hmm. And uh, he can't see, Frank can't see Voldemort. He just sees a chair ominously facing the fireplace away from the door. Like classic Inspector Gadget, like the claw guy turned away from the audience. (laughs) So Voldemort talks about himself in the third person, which I always think is amazing yeah no it's uh he's got he's got a big ego he's like an artist he's like a prince uh, or a or a share or a madonna <laughs> he's got the single name and uh, just a huge ego yes exactly so then frank uh tries to like stand up to voldemort and tries to be like sassy and be like blah, 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 and voldemort's yeah, he's like, a tough old vet he's standing <laughs> yeah. up to the guy so he eventually says to him he says face me like a man and then voldemort says oh but i'm not a man i'll face you and then he has Pettigrew slowly, ominously turned the chair around. I love imagining this chair is just like the biggest, like creakiest armchair <laughs> that he slowly had to first turn towards the fire and then away from it to face Frank. Yeah. And it just like squeaking slowly the entire time <laughs> while yeah. he swivels it around. I'm really imagining it's not like a one motion of just turning it. It's like you have to like move it once and then move to the other corner and then <laughs> right, push it yeah. more. Like it takes three pushes to turn it around. This was a great. It, this could have been a great visual gag, and they really missed out in the film version. And I'm uh, pretty bummed out about it. That would have been so funny. We should have written it. Oh, God, clearly. <laughs> so they turn it around, however many pushes it takes. And then all you know is that Frank screams like a little bitch and then gets a vada cadavera. That's like all you know. It's like, That's ah! true. and then death. Yeah, it's Harry's seen versions of, of Voldemort yes. at this point in, in the story. 
And I don't think he's ever had this reaction. And now we're like, it's a hardened vet who's fought in the war and seen the horrors of war. And he's he lets out a scream. It seems, especially after his like tough little uh, you know call out that he gives Voldemort. I don't know. I don't buy it. Mm-hmm. I feel like J.K. did a disservice to this man's initial characterization <laughs> of bravery. He's really tough, but he sees this like half formed, <laughs> not fully a man yet Voldemort, and he's like, uh. So, yeah. and then the final thing in the chapter is that it apparently causes Harry to wake up from his sleep. So, some weird connection to Voldemort, where him yeah. killing someone makes Harry like wake up. And that's the end More of the chapter. scar burning. Mm-hmm. Chapter two is called The Scar. So Harry wakes up from this dream. His scar hurts really badly. And his dream was basically chapter one. He just dreamed what happened. So right. he's clearly that's so raven and can see the present or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's just clued into all of that, um, mm. which is neat. Is that the, I, I got to ask, is that uh, the first time that that's happened? Yes. Where he's the like, gets other, a clear vision. The only other similar thing is that in the first book, when he first was near where Voldemort was, hmm. when he had nightmares or whatever, he would remember things more. When he was like in the forest and Voldemort was like eating the unicorn, he like remembered more things about oh, okay. the death. He never had this thing where he saw what was happening or whatever Voldemort was doing, but there have been things where like as he's gotten closer to Voldemort, he's been able to remember the murder more or like when he would face the Dementors, like the screams of his mom would be more, or he like ended up having that one dream where he found out that his dad sacrificed himself for it after Mm. he learned about the death from the teachers over talking it. So like as he learns more about Voldemort, his vision of his death at least becomes more clear. Gotcha. That's the only thing that's happened so far. Okay, good to know. So he wakes up from the dream, and it, apparently he was reading a Quidditch book until he fell asleep, probably because it was really boring. Yeah. Quidditch is stupid. I, I had a similar experience when I was reading about Quidditch in this book <laughs> and almost fell asleep. <laughs> oh, man. He tried to, like, read it again but was too distracted. And then the narrator says, quote, even Quidditch, which Harry considered the best sport in the world, couldn't <laughs> distract him at his point. Yeah, well, Harry's an idiot. is <laughs> bad taste in Because sports. he knows that basketball exists, but he thinks Quidditch is better, which is just incorrect. Nothing is better than basketball. Ball is life. <laughs> yeah. No, I feel yeah. I, I, I'm more of a basketball guy than a broom guy. Um, <laughs> always been that way. I, I, I do imagine that any sort of... Uh, a flying sport. If we were just uh, take what we know now and then we're like, oh, these guys are flying. That could heighten <laughs> other sports. <laughs> like if curling happened and it was just oh, a, involved damn. flying. An already a perfect much sport. better sport. <laughs> That's true. It's already the height of sport. God, sporting. I love curling. <laughs> it's oh, a good one. I live for it. Let's see. So Harry is concerned because his scar only hurts when Voldemort is nearby, and he's, there's no way Voldemort could be here now. So uh, he's true. very confused. Also, when I'm reading the book, sometimes I'm audiobooking, sometimes I'm reading it, depending on if I'm on lunch break at work or if I'm doing laundry or something. The narrator of the audiobook, Jim Dale, when he says Voldemort doesn't say the T. Yeah, I was... He, uh, he just calls him Voldemort, and it's Voldemort. the most It's the most annoying thing ever. It does seem weird, because it's not a thing that you should do if you have an American or an English accent. It doesn't make sense. No. Uh, like, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I wonder if there is, like, some etymology that JK is pulling from where there is precedent for that, but I've never... I had read some of the books and then I had re- um, listened to some of Jim Dale's audiobooks, which he's great. I really he is do really like good him. For the but most that part. is, yeah, there are like, there were 
was that? And I think an, another character's name where it was just like nails on a, on the chalkboard. Okay. I've like <laughs> these characters that I've loved. Uh-huh. And it was like, oh, this is who they are. Where he was betraying the pronunciation. Yeah, of I name. haven't heard him mispronounce any of their name wrong, but his McGonagall accent is obnoxiously Scottish. Like everything's oh, really? like, oh, Harry, <laughs> like, how oh, could you be great. doing this? And uh, his voice for Sirius Black was bad, too. He just sounded like a more drunk Hagrid. Like, mm. it was like, ah, Lupin, uh, let me, let me tell the boy what's happening. <laughs> it's like, that's not Gary Oldman. Yeah. It just kind of turns him into a pirate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Done with that side note. Uh, the narrator recaps things that happened in the last year. Again, mm-hmm. recaps how bad the Dursleys are. And I was thinking, like, is this going to happen in every book? Like, who is yeah. picking up book four and being like, I haven't read the first three. Let's just jump on in. That's honestly what it reads as is just like an editor's or publisher's note of, hey, we don't want to, you know, exclude any new readers to the mm-hmm. series by making this huge, long seven book series by having them, you know, unfamiliar with, with stuff that's going on. So I think in every single book, there is some sort of like previously on Harry Potter. It's just like <laughs> you get this deluge of information that if you are a person who's read through all of them, it's annoying because you're like, no, I know. I, I know. I'm sure I was there. <laughs> yeah. You're reading them all in like pretty quick succession. Yeah. So I'm sure it's especially annoying for you. It's the most annoying for me. <laughs> but the one thing I talked to my girlfriend about this and she made a good point that as you mentioned earlier, this book came out at the peak of the popularity. Right. I think three was what made it the most popular. So there could be people that were just like, oh, that Harry Potter thing. I'll just start with the new one. Totally. So that kind of makes sense. It makes sense from a business standpoint. Yeah, it but makes it's sense. annoying as a book. Yeah. <laughs> as me, who's someone who's literally picking up the next book the day I finish, it's super annoying. It's like, yo, I get <laughs> totally. it. The Dursleys are bad people. Let's move on. Yeah. The recap goes on for at least five pages, which is excessive. Yeah, it's a long one. That was annoying. But we finally move past it, and Harry gets to a point where he wishes that he had some sort of wizard parent figure to discuss this with. And then he's like, oh yeah, my godfather who told me to write to him anytime I was worried about things. Right, yeah. <laughs> that, that like little uh, insight into his thought process is, again, just so that he can recap all the people who are important to him. He's like, <laughs> could I tell my best friend Ron, who like is, is this way, and this is a little bit of his character, so that people can be clued into who's Ron? Uh-huh. And he does the same thing with Hermione and Dumbledore. <laughs> it makes him come across as an idiot just so that they can, like, bring new readers in. <laughs> yeah. It's like, that's not how people think about their acquaintances. <laughs> as I read the books more and more, like, Harry's really stupid. <laughs> yeah. When I was first starting the series, I was like, oh, I bet Harry's going to be, like, really smart. I bet Harry's going to know a lot of things. He's really dumb. Yeah. And there's a thing that happens later in the book, which we'll talk about. But there's, like, a lot of moments where Harry's just, like, has no common sense. Right. At all. And is really, really stupid. He's supposed to be in that, like, position of an audience standing in this, like, new and mysterious magical world. But the audience, I feel like, comes to terms <laughs> with the world that he's in so much quicker than him. And it's like, dude, catch up, man. Like, you've been here for a while now. You get, you should have, like, some basic grasp of who, at least who the meaningful people in your life are. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Harry decides to write to Sirius Black. Mm-hmm. 
And after he decides to write to him, they recap the entire third book because they're like, oh, Sirius Black, in case you didn't know. And then there's more recap, which is ridiculous. So Sirius had sent Harry two letters thus far in the summer via Exotic Bird, which gives you some sort of hint that he's in a cool tribal location. I'm really just imagining him in a Hawaiian T-shirt on the beach drinking things out of coconuts. Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, People think I've murdered everyone, but let me have another pina colada. That's like such a little fantastic uh, departure too from like the kind of like gloomy drab dark world of Harry Potter too yeah, it's just like, rains every day <laughs> yeah imagining this guy that's been in this horrible prison for so long just like kicking back in a Tommy Bahamas <laughs> shirt on the yeah. beach it's very much uh, like Shawshank Redemption you're in jail a lot and then you're Tim Robbins on the beach <laughs> yeah totally <laughs> so uh, apparently Dudley is on a diet which becomes this really long obnoxious giant tirade in chapter three. You also learn that apparently in the Harry Potter world, uh, the Sony PlayStation exists. Yeah, that's one of those, <laughs> it almost feels like anachronistic. I don't. I know it's not. But it's it, just it's, strange. There's so few specific mentions of, of things that actually exist in the real world uh, in those books that it kind of like pulls you out of the fantasy of it. It's just like, yeah. oh yeah, it's a Sony PlayStation in this world, I guess so. Yeah, so it tells you two things. One, that Sony PlayStation exists. And two, whatever year this is taking place in has to be 1995. Right, yeah. Because that's when it came out. So I know it like starts in the late 80s or whatever so i think that like holds true but it's very strange that they would go specifically i don't know if like they have a deal with sony or something but it's weird that it was it wasn't like dudley played video games all the time it was like dudley played his playstation a lot (laughs) right yeah it is like a, a weirdly specific thing are there any other mentions of uh specific dates or time or so there there's never been anything i just know that I asked the question at one point, I was like, why does no one have a cell phone? Mm-hmm. And then they were like, oh, this it takes place in like the late 80s, early 90s. Gotcha. So that's all I know. Maybe that's why she added it in because she's like, oh, I need to like. I need to date this somehow. Yeah. Make sure that certain technology doesn't exist because then it will make the wizard stuff less cool because technology <laughs> is so good now. <laughs> I feel like there would have been more fun ways, though. It's like Harry came down and Dudley was listening to Ice Ice Baby by Vanilla Ice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. The number one billboard hit single ice, it's ice a baby. very benign pop culture reference that is just kind of strange <laughs> nickelodeon guts was playing on the television when he walked downstairs <laughs> yeah uh, so he writes a series about the scar he doesn't mention the dream because he doesn't want Sirius to be too worried uh, i'm sorry Sirius black who spent 13 years being terrorized by dementors i think he can handle harry telling him that he had a bad dream about voldemort yeah totally i feel like this is another thing where it's just like oh it's just setting you up to be annoyed by him because like clearly it's foreshadowing like this is probably a more serious thing than he realizes and he's just like coming up with all these different reasons of like oh i don't want to be i don't want to be foolish be a burden I, yeah <laughs> which is like also kind of endearing and sweet that he you know is so caring and doesn't just want to impose or you know be on people's mind as a worry yeah. but uh but yeah, Whatever. it is just not a good choice. <laughs> oh, yeah. So then Harry decides to go downstairs. And for some reason, the narrator mentions, quote, he went downstairs without looking at his reflection. Hmm. I don't know why this is mentioned or if it comes up later, but it's like Harry didn't look in the mirror. And then I don't know why they t- decided to say that. Yeah, that's strange. I didn't even notice that. Detail. No, I'm huh. trying to note as many like weird things as possible because I've heard that 
there's a lot of things that like kind of go under the rug that in the sixth book are just kind of like, oh, by the way, remember that thing we mentioned? So I'm trying totally. to like, take note of literally anything that seems weird. Yeah, no, that's that's a good point, and you definitely should do that. I think <laughs> you'll you'll get some payoff because J.K. like loves to just like fill her books with all these little all these little clues and into stuff that you wouldn't you have no sense of like their significance until you hit a certain point in the book, and then it's yeah. like ah yes ah, that thing that thing yes of course. Hey, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors who make this show possible. This episode of Potterless is brought to you by Arena Club. Now, if you listen to this podcast, it should be no secret that I am both a sports nerd and more of a traditional nerd. And when you think of these two types of nerddom, there's one thing that links them together, and that is card collecting. Whether you are looking to buy, trade, sell, or display a card collection of sports cards or Pokemon cards, you should check out Arena Club. ArenaClub.com is the place where you can do all of these things. I have recently made a purchase on the market marketplace. I got Lieutenant Surge's Raichu, which is my favorite Pokemon, and I didn't even know that there was a Lieutenant Surge version of the Raichu. So that is a card that I now have, and it's not just some digital thing. I can have this card physically mailed to me. So there's a bunch of cool stuff you can do with Arena Club, including their slab packs. If you have ever done any sort of card collecting, you know that ripping packs or repacks can be a zero transparency type of thing where you're just hoping you get some sort of cool card. But what's nice about the slab packs with Arena Club is that you have full transparency. You see what available cards are there, what your percentage of getting them is, what the gradings are, so it is not a complete black box. You're going into this knowing what cards you might get. And I've been using Arena Club, and it's pretty cool. It's very easy for me to look up different cards. I can favorite them, see what I want, and then whenever I want them shipped to me, I can get them shipped to me, and then I'll have the physical versions of them. Right now, you can get right 10% you can off get, your first purchase right by going to arenaclub.com slash Wow, that is a wild offer. 10% off a $400 slap pack is 40 Right there. Wow. Anyways, that's a real club.com slash Potterless for 10% off your first purchase. That's a wild collection card. Wild collection card. Wild collection packs for a more transparent way. That's a real sports nerd slash Pokemon nerd. For all sorts of nerds like me, you can use Arena Club today. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free to play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So then we get into chapter three, the invitation. So Dudley is failing all of his classes. <laughs> he is too large to fit into the largest size of uniform. And that is what sparked the diet. The narrator describes him as, quote, he had become the size and the weight of a small killer whale which seems like 
a bit of a, a physical impossibility. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Seems like it couldn't happen. Also, the narrator mentions that Petunia is horse-like, which has happened in every single book. So this is the fourth time that we've mentioned that Petunia has horse-like features. This book, they said that she has horse-like teeth. Yeah. So that's just a fun little thing where she gets compared to a horse every single book. <laughs> I don't know if there's a word for this, but J.K. Rowling, more so than almost any other writer that I know, loves to pair a person's physical appearance with who they are. It's just like everything is on the surface. Yeah. And it's like you can tell that this is a bad person, just like the way that she <laughs> describes the Dursleys as the most despicable, disgusting people before she even talks about who they are as people. Yeah, it's like, oh, they're <laughs> fat and ugly. Clearly they're evil. <laughs> yeah, it's it's an interesting thing. Yeah, oh, she's very vain. So yeah. Petunia insists that the whole family join along on the diet. So Harry writes to all of his friends, telling him them to send him candy. He's like, yeah. guys, my, my pretend parents are putting me on this dumb diet. Can you, like, send me shit? So Hermione sends him sugar-free candy because her parents are dentists, which I think is a great little note. That's so oh, yeah. funny. She would have dentist parents. Hagrid sends a sack of homemade rock cakes, which Harry doesn't touch. Super wise. Super wise move. Honestly, the smartest thing Harry has done in the entire series. Yeah. And Mrs. Weasley sent a giant fruit cake and meat pies because that's sugar. <laughs> yeah. And it's a thing that like per, like stays in good condition while it's just sitting in your room temperature in like a <laughs> in your uh what, what's it called? His uh his, giant Oh, his trunk or whatever? Yeah, his trunk. It's gonna last really well and just taste great as he when he pulls that out three days later. Just <laughs> a nice meat pie. Oh, man. So as we begin every single book, it's Harry Potter's birthday again. Mm -hmm. The Dursleys just completely ignored his birthday this year, which is great. So he got a cake from Ron, a cake from Hermione, a cake from Hagrid, and a cake from Sirius. Clearly, his friends didn't talk to each other like, oh, what are you getting Harry for his birthday? <laughs> yeah, they right. all were just like, give him a cake. Oh, man. <laughs> Vernon is livid because he got a letter from Mrs. Weasley asking permission to bring Harry to the Quidditch World Cup final because, quote, they got prime tickets, which I don't know if that's how British people describe good seats, uh, but they got prime tickets to the World yeah, Cup like final. That. I've got to adopt that. Just anything that is cool is, is prime yeah. now. Yeah. Hey, man, want to watch the new episode of Mr. Robot? It's prime. Oh, yeah. Are you, are you saying that because it's on Amazon Prime? No, I'm saying it because it's really good. <laughs> it's very confusing with modern <laughs> streaming services in the mix now. <laughs> Apparently, the package had a million stamps, which I think is great. Mm -hmm. But it's just a yeah. great little note is that the whole thing was covered in stamps except for where they wrote the address. And that made the mailman suspect. So Vernon is torn between making Harry happy, which he doesn't want to do, and getting him out of the house, which he very much wants to do. Vernon then goes on to call Mrs. Weasley a dumpy woman. He calls Quidditch rubbish, which is very accurate. Yeah. But Harry doesn't think that he should call Mrs. Weasley dumpy when, you know, look in the mirror, which very valid point. Mm -hmm. um, the quote was that Harry thinks he shouldn't since his son is wider than he is tall, which really seems, again, like physically impossible. Yeah, this is a cartoon world at this point where everyone <laughs> is a cartoon character and Dudley, like, is the shape of, uh, like, hang 
Arnold's head. He's just the, <laughs> he's just like a football man. So good. Harry basically blackmails Vernon into saying that if he's not allowed to go, he's going to tell Sirius about it. Right. So then uh, Vernon goes on to say, quote, you can go to this rubbish, this stupid, this World Cup thing, which I think is the best description of Quidditch that has happened yeah. in the entire series. Okay. Uncle Vernon's finally making some sense. Yeah, some Vernon <laughs> stock is rising. <laughs> Harry goes on to say that he's going to stay at the Weasleys for the rest of the summer. He gets a letter from Ron from the little owl who's named Pig, which is an amazing name. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Ron mentions that the final is Ireland versus Bulgaria, which seems like two strange countries to be good at Quidditch. But who knows? Yeah, who knows what their wizarding world is like? Exactly. They must have very athletic wizards in both Bulgaria and Ireland. Yeah. So you then learn that Percy has a job at the Ministry of Magic, specifically the Ministry of International Cooperation. Uh, and Harry is very happy to be with the Weasleys. And that's the end of chapter three. Mm-hmm. We go to chapter four, back to the burrow. The Weasleys show up in the Dursley's house via flu powder. Yeah. But there's a problem because the fireplace has been boarded up. So they're just like trapped all inside the fireplace. So eventually they break out. My note for this chapter is that it's widely useless, except for at the very end, when Harry says goodbye to the Dursleys, Mr. Dursley does not say goodbye back. And then Mr. Right. Weasley's like, what the hell? Like, you're not going to see your nephew until the summer. Surely you'll say goodbye to him. So begrudgingly, Vernon says goodbye. The only other thing that really happened during this chapter was like the struggle of the flu powder thing and getting out of the fireplace. Yeah, this is largely just like people feeling good about themselves. It's like, oh, the Dursleys get their living room wrecked. Yeah. Dudley eats a piece of candy mm-hmm. that grows his uh, tongue. His tongue. Yes, exactly. So... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is a, a pretty horrific sounding moment. And mm-hmm. Dudley's kind of getting it rough. I know he's a bad dude, but he's gotten He's a been turned tail. into a pig. Yeah, he's yeah. got a big tongue. Ugh. So yeah, that's the only other thing of value that happens in this chapter is that Fred, quote unquote, accidentally drops a candy out of his pocket mm-hmm. and then picks them all up except for one. Dudley then eats it and it makes his tongue a foot long and purple. So Vernon then starts like throwing shit at the Weasleys. So they flew powder out of there and then Mr. Weasley stays behind to deal with it. And then we get into chapter yeah. five, Weasley's Wizard Wheezes, which is a fun little tongue twister. Yeah. So Fred confirms that the candy that they left was on purpose and the twins invented them. And they find out that the tongue got to four feet long before Mr. Dursley got to shrink it. And they were very happy about this. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a matter of celebration uh, at that point. Yeah. So you start meeting all of the other Weasleys. Bill and Charlie are home, which is cool. Bill, who, if anyone doesn't know, is the Weasley in the Gringotts ride at the Harry Potter world oh, because really? he's the only, I didn't know that. so he's the only person that they could get the rights to uh, oh, <laughs> the, the only actor that they would get the, the voicing and acting rights for. So they got Bill Weasley oh, and the thing is like, Oh, Hey, I work at Gringotts. Remember? Gotta save Gringotts. I'm Bill. And it was like super lame. Yeah. It's the first time that we meet Bill and Charlie, I think, in in the series. It's the first time you meet them in person. You've heard about them before, but this is the first time. You also learn that apparently uh, Bill is really cool, has like long hair and an earring. (laughs) Yeah. It seems like just the most adult out of touch description of a cool person ever. It's like (laughs) he's wearing rockers clothes and has dragon skin boots and wears an earring. Earring. It's just like, okay, this guy sounds terrible. <laughs> He's like, sounds like the lamest, like, fedora wearing yeah. neck beard ever. But J.K. Rowling's like, he was really cool. <laughs> and that was exactly the quote. Uh, it's quote, Bill was dot dot dot. There was no other word for it. Dot dot dot. 
cool. That is exactly how he oh is described. <laughs> and then she goes on to describe a pickup artist. <laughs> goes on to describe the least cool person in the world. Yeah, where Charlie actually Charlie's is. Charlie's a boss. Sounds very cool. Yeah. He's got like dragon scars. Like yeah, scars he was captain of the Quidditch Burn. team. He does stuff with yeah. dragons in, where does he live? In Romania? Like, in Romania, Charlie seems yeah. cool as shit. And they're just like, Bill was the coolest Weasley. <laughs> yeah, they just gloss over this guy who tames dragons. And is like, this guy works in a bank and wears <laughs> Like a leather boots and has an earring. It's like way cooler. <laughs> oh my god, so true. Mr. Weasley gets super mad at Fred for the taffy thing. Mrs. Weasley asks what all the fuss is and sends Ginny and Hermione, who didn't come along on this journey, upstairs along with the other people. Every other Weasley upstairs, except for the twins, so they can just yell at them. So Ginny explains that Weasley wizard wheezes are gag gifts that the twins have been inventing their entire Hogwarts career. And they had made order forms to sell to the kids at Hogwarts, which Mrs. Weasley got very upset about, especially since their OWL, dumb name for a test, scores uh, weren't the best. So the mom wants them to work in the Ministry of Magic. They want to open up a joke shop, which seems way more fun, highly more Yeah, lucrative. they're very entrepreneurial. Yeah. I feel like that they should... I don't, I don't get why... Molly's not more supportive. Yeah, she's. He, they're like clearly not fit to work in the Ministry of Magic. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why It'd she be wants a them. Complete to work disaster. There. They don't. They should never be in positions of power. No, not or near important people because they'll just <laughs> yeah. do shit to them. <laughs> right, just distract them and ruin everyone else's uh, day. So then Percy comes out being a piece of shit as usual. He complains that people are being too loud, and Ron just shits on him, which is great. Like Ron just yeah. has no patience. He's like, "Oh yeah, Percy, what are you working on?" And he's like, I'm working on this very important report about cauldron thickness. And Ron's like, okay, that sounds awesome. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) which is cool because it's like for me as someone who isn't a wizard, I'm like, oh, that sounds like important stuff. But it's nice to know that like the average wizard, but that's the that's the grunt work. That's like the most (laughs) bureaucratic thing that you can even do is (laughs) determine cauldron thickness. Yeah, sounds super lame. So Harry asks Ron why he calls his owl pig. Harry's like very concerned about this. There were three different mentions where it was like, Harry wondered why his name was Pig. It's like, yo, it's a great name. What's going on here? (laughs) Yeah. Ginny (laughs) says Ron is being stupid. Its full name is Pigwidgeon, which its name went from awesome to shit. 100 to zero real quick. An owl named Pig, amazing. Yeah. An owl named Pigwidgeon, stupid as hell. Yeah, no, Ron's definitely in the right shortening that to Pig. Yeah. It's made it a much cooler owl. Mm -hmm. So Ginny apparently came up with this stupid name, and now Harry's going to marry her and be stuck with her the rest of his life. I bet they named their kid Albus Servers Dumbledore or something. Yes, (laughs) or Pigwidgeon. (laughs) Albus Pigwidgeon Potter. That'd be so much better. <laughs> oh, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, in parentheses, Pigwidgeon Potter. <laughs> That's why I can't stop thinking about it. He's like, oh, man, oh, I, yeah. I really like this name, Pigwidgeon. <laughs> so Percy won't stop kissing his boss's ass. His boss's name is Mr. Crouch. Mm-hmm. He mentions that he's looking for the missing person that Voldemort killed, Bertha Jockings, even though she's in a different department, which apparently makes Mr. Crouch a saint. That he cares about a human. Yeah, he's got a real low bar. <laughs> Percy does, does not think much about people. Percy keeps mentioning some top secret event that he's been trying, that according to Ron, he's been trying to get the family to ask him about. Just like, the, oh, working on that secret event again, and no 
one has been like, oh, what event? Like, he's been doing this all <laughs> no summer one and no bait. one has taken the bait. Uh, so then, yes, you learn now that Bill has an earring with a fang on it and long hair, which makes him cool. Yeah. <laughs> Mrs. Weasley hates the hair. And when she tells him to cut it, the narrator says, quote, fingering her wand lovingly asks if she can cut it. Uh, phrasing is key here. Yeah. Fingering her wand lovingly while talking about her son. Really poor yeah, choice of words. It's a gross <laughs> thing to say. And also, does that mean that you can cut hair with a wand? Apparently. It would make sense. Oh. But yeah, I guess so. Yeah. You can do a lot of stuff with those things, yeah, I guess. You just, but you just can't, you know, call people. You can't use wands or right. cell phones, as you'll learn later in this section. So they talk about the Quidditch World Cup. There is mentioned that the last Quidditch World Cup final took five days. Harry's like, whoa, no way. I hope the same thing happens. Which raises two points of concern. First off, five days sounds awful. Absolutely terrible. Any sport lasting five days sounds atrocious. Second, Harry is obsessed with Quidditch. He is. He loves Quidditch more than anything. It is his favorite sport. It is his only hobby. It is the only thing he does besides defeat Voldemort in his free time. He has never known the most famous Quidditch game of all time, the last World Cup game, which lasted five days. He's read multiple books about Quidditch, played Quidditch, hung out with friends that all they do is talk about it, and no one at any point in time was like, oh, by the way, the last World Cup lasted five days. Yeah, he didn't know this at all. I think it's absurd. He must have fallen asleep on day two when he was <laughs> reading that book and just didn't get to the end. Uh, I just think it's ridiculous. If you are supposed to be obsessed with the sport, you would know like the most famous thing ever. Totally. It'd be like if you really like the Tour de France and you're like, who's Lance Armstrong? Yeah. It doesn't make any sense at all. It's one of those like literary devices that just is super thin where it's like, oh, this is just an opportunity to have him as an ignorant party and then explain something to the audience. Mm. That's always what it comes across to is me. (sighs) Man. So Percy is like, meh, meh, meh. I hope it doesn't last that long. I couldn't be away from work for five days. Percy just continues to establish himself as the worst person and he gets worse later on. Yeah, what would happen to the cauldrons? <laughs> if Percy goes away. We're going to have very thin cauldrons. So terrible. Lots of spills. Uh, then there's some weird thing about the twins sending dung to Percy. And I was too upset about the Quidditch thing and the Percy thing to take note of it. And that is the end of chapter five. And we are at a point where I'm going to cut it for this recording of the episode. But don't worry, David, once I stop recording, we will continue and go on to the next time. But for the purpose of this episode not being too long, we're going to cut it here. So everybody, thank you so much for listening. David, thank you so much for being a part of this. Of course, it's a joy. If you want to follow your social media, anything you want to plug in particular, Vine will be long gone by the time this is posted, I'm assuming. Yeah. (laughs) So sad. Um, You can just follow me if you put my name into Twitter, David Tress. You can find me there. That's the best way to do it. It's Tress, like the Spanish number for three, just pronounced like a white person. David three. David three. (laughs) So yeah. Uh, Thank you guys so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate us on iTunes. That helps a ton. You can follow us on SoundCloud, iTunes, whatever. And on Twitter at Potterless Pod. But everybody, thank you so much for listening. And David, thanks for being thanks for being here. Of course. Thanks for having me. No problem. And I'll talk to you in five seconds. Yes. <laughs> Potterless is created by Mike Schubert. It is edited by Mike Schubert. It is hosted by Mike Schubert. It is produced by Mike Schubert, as well as Leanne Davis, Griffin Meckelberg, Andreas Ozilby, Vicky Vale, and Aaron Johnson. And the music is by Bettina Campamadis. Thank you so much for listening. You can find us on your preferred podcast app. We're on Twitter. We're at facebook.com slash Potterless. And if you go to patreon.com slash Potterless, you can check out that free bonus episode that I was talking about. Thanks again for all the support. And until next time, as they say in Hogwarts, wizard on.
So I, I know you've got a lot going on. But remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening, because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better, because it can. Bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.